Destiny are out of town. They are actually with some of their spiritual mentors in North Carolina, and they're going to be there for the next couple of days getting refreshed and actually learning some things. So you can be praying for them, but they will be back with us on Sunday. But you are stuck with me for tonight. And so let's, uh, oh, okay, thank you. You don't have to. Yes. Oh, here we go. So if you, first of all, my name is Clarissa. I think Jenny said that I'm the Connections Pastor, just in case you don't know who I am. Um, And people say, what is the Connections Pastor? It is a person who puts single people together. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I wish it was, because that's really what I feel like my job description is. So if you need somebody, let, no, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, oops, I I need to be good. Um, So if you've been here, uh, this is the longest running series. I've been here for seven years. Um, um, and I cannot remember us being in a series this long. But on Wednesday nights, starting around February, we started going through characters of the Bible. Um, really, and, and we say characters, but they're like people. These were real people, just in case you were wondering. And so we started in the Old Testament. We started with Abraham, um, the patriarch of the faith, his, his whole lineage, his children, his grandchildren. We got into the Exodus, so that the, his, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren being exiled into Egypt, um, they get to get into the promised land. Then there's a period of the judges. Then uh, Israel's like, we want to be like everybody else, which we always know that's a bad idea. But they said that, and they meant it. And so God let them have a king, and that was Saul. And so after Saul was David, you know, David and Goliath. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful, the lights. Um, and so then uh, David and Goliath, and then so- David and Goliath, no. David, then Solomon, and then after Solomon, the kingdom splits, And the kingdom is splitting as a result of David's sin, really, with Bathsheba, but you can read all about that in the Bible. And so the kingdom splits, the people have to go into exile, uh, then the people return, and then we call it, Christians call it, uh, theologians call it, a period of silence. God doesn't speak that we know of to anyone, to a prophet or anyone, uh, for about 400 years. And then Mary comes on the scene, um, Zachariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and Jesus um, in the Gospels. And then the church is born after Jesus is resurrected and goes back to heaven. And then the mission of the church is lived out. And that's kind of where we are. That's where we are now in this series. And that's where we literally are in the history of the world as we know it, okay? And so tonight, Pastor Philip last week talked about James, Jesus's brother, and I'm gonna talk about Luke. So we're actually gonna kind of be, yep, in the gospel and the missions tonight, uh, talking about Luke. Let's pray, and then we'll get into some interesting facts about Luke, and then we'll go a little deeper. Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is so cool um, that you didn't leave us to kind of uh, fumble around in the dark and try to figure this thing out for ourselves. You gave us your spirit, and you gave us your word. We thank you for that, God, that you thought of that, that you're so cool, that you think of everything, God. And we just pray that tonight while we're here together, we can learn more about you and more about what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So from Luke's writings, okay, and scholars' findings, here are a few things, and I say few, nine, several. (laughs) Here are a few things we believe to be true about Luke. Number one. He was not one of the 12 disciples. 
Now, some of you know this because y'all are Bible nerds, scholars, but some people don't know this. We, pastors have preached, I think it was either Pastor Denny or Pastor Philip or both of them, have confessed that at one time they preached. And when Luke was walking with Jesus, and Luke was never walking with Jesus because Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. I actually thought he was until someone told me differently. Number two, he was not Jewish. Um, and so he was a Gentile. And this is a really cool thing because this means he is, as we know it, the only Gentile writer in the whole Bible. And he writes two books of the Bible. So that's very significant. Number three, he was a doctor. Ah, Dr. Paul. Fist bump, air bump, Dr. Paul. He was a doctor. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he writes, how do we know he's a doctor? Colossians 4.14, Luke the beloved doctor sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Number four, he was educated. I mean, he was a doctor, so he was educated, right? Right, Dr. Paul, you have to be educated. They don't just let you start opening people up. And Okay, good. Oh, thank God. Anyway, um, number five, he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. So when you read the book of Acts, it's very interesting. He writes it in like first person, third person, all of these persons. But there's a part in there where he starts saying, we, 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 because he was with Paul as Paul was doing all this stuff. In fact, he was shipwrecked with Paul. There's a story in Acts, and it's a beautiful story. You should read it. Um, and, and, and the whole ship that Paul's on is shipwrecked, and God saves the people on the ship, and they get on an island called Malta, and a snake the Bible says, jumps up on Paul's hand while he's trying to put the fire together, and he just shakes it off. And so the Bible says all the people on the island wait, because we would all be waiting too, right? They just wait to see when he's going to drop dead. He doesn't drop dead. They think he's a god, la, 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 la. But Luke was there, and I think that's a cool thing to think of. Luke was there with him through all of this. Number six, he was a good interviewer. He was a great interviewer, actually. The things he writes about in his gospel, since he wasn't there, the first letter he got secondhand from those who had been with Jesus. Now, this is very interesting. He got this stuff secondhand. And so as I was preparing and listening to it, I was thinking, man, he had to be a great interviewer because he's got some deets, man, some details. So I started thinking, what kind of questions did he have to ask to get these kinds of details. I think he was asking, what did Jesus say? Because he's, the, the uh, scholars, theologians believe he was sitting down with people like Peter and people like John and, and some unnamed disciples, people who had been following Jesus the whole time, and just sitting with them and asking them question after question. What did the crowd say? When you read Luke, you're going to see things like, and then those in the crowd begin to blah, 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 blah. So, so I think he was like, well, what did the crowd say? And then I think he asked this every single time to every single person. Were the Pharisees there? Were the, what, what did they say? Because it seems like he's always got, and then the Pharisees said, or the scribes said, or the lawyers said. So I think he was always wanting to know what they said. But then I think he really followed that up with, and what did Jesus say to them? Did he get them? Did he get him? No, I'm kidding. That would have been me. Did he get him? He got him every time, just in case you're wondering. Number seven, he wrote, Dad, bear with me, more of the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. Shut your Bible. Shut your Bible. You didn't know that. I did not know that until I started studying this. I was like, he did what? I preached, and the person who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody, every preacher has preached that. Paul. No, it was Luke, guys. 
5,000 more words to be exact. My dad said he knew that. Man, dad, you know everything. Gosh. Anyway, quick Bible trivia. Who wrote the most words in the Bible? Mr. Clay? Yes. The whole Bible. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Moses. 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 Number two, Ezra. Number three, Dr. Luke. Number four, Jeremiah. And number five, Paul. I didn't know that until this week. Number eight, he was humble. Though he is attributed with writing both Luke and Acts, which makes up almost one-fourth of the New Testament, he focuses his writings on others and their stories and their accomplishments. Now, that's humility. Because if I'm writing a book, I don't know that I would do that. He was a faithful friend. How do we know? 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. Oh, my gosh, and I just love this. So, so picture this. Paul, he's an apostle. He's been traveling all over the world. He's coming to the end of his life. He's in prison, and he's writing to one of his spiritual sons. They think this probably was the last book letter that, that Paul wrote. So 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11, and, and Paul writes, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and is gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Aw. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful for me in my ministry. Only Luke is with me. What a faithful friend. His gospel is the only one that has a true sequel. The books of Luke could have easily been named Luke 1 and Luke 2. Is, do you, is something happening? Oh, there's a phone going. Okay, that's okay. He ends his first letter with these words. Luke 24, 44 through 53. Then he said, he's talking about Jesus. When I was with you before, Jesus is talking to his disciples. I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead and on the, third, the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This is the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Aren't you glad for that message? Amen. You are witnesses of all these things. And now, Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. Amen. Man, that's, that's some good nine verses. So he, he ends his first letter that way. And then his second letter in Acts, he just recaps those nine verses. And then he goes on to continue the story. 
His first letter proves that he is an amazing student, scholar, interviewer, and writer. But his second letter proves that he himself became a witness to Jesus' resurrection power and saving grace. Amen. As I was studying and preparing and thinking and praying, I kept reading and listening to Luke's writings with this question in mind. What is it that Dr. Luke wants us to know? What is he trying to tell his readers? What does he want the people hearing this letter read to know? The answer is so many things, but I have chosen three. Number one, the gospel is for everyone. Oh, I love it. Everyone. How do we know this? By reading Luke's letters. Here are some things that no other gospel writers mentioned. Nobody else. Luke 8, 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities talking about Jesus and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means." More than any other gospel, Jesus and his interaction with women is mentioned over 40 times. Luke mentions women being with Jesus, being delivered by Jesus, or being noticed by Jesus. Come on. Luke wanted his readers to know that the gospel was for everyone, even women. Now, for us, we go, well, yeah, of course, of course, But listen, women couldn't read. Women couldn't have a job. A lot of the women couldn't have it. I mean, the things they couldn't do, the list was so long, they could do like two things. Have babies and cook. No, they could do some other things. But they couldn't do hardly anything without permission from their husband. Their husband could divorce them on a whim. On a whim. He could go down to the temple and say, she keeps being rude. Now, can you imagine? Oh, God, Dale would have threw me out a long time. No, I'm kidding. But can you imagine? Women were treated as less than nothing. So when the women who would be hearing this read heard that women were included in Jesus' ministering, traveling, party, his friends, they probably would have cried. They would have been like, this is too good to be true. Even women, the gospel is for everyone. Acts 10, starting at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. A devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? I don't know that I would have got any words out, but that's just me. And he said to him, your prayers and your your alms, not your arms, your alms, have ascended as a memorial before God. Cornelius. Cornelius, this Italian, this Roman soldier who Jewish people would have hated. 
make no mistake. He would have been the enemy. So what does God do? Verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, the people Cornelius sent, Peter went up, so they sent, Cornelius sent them to find Peter. Peter goes up on the housetop. They had flat roofs, so, so this would have been a little different than our houses, about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. It sounds like Thanksgiving. Um, because, man, if the food takes too long, I'm going to fall asleep. But anyway, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Hmm. What God has made clean, do not call common. What Jesus' blood has been applied to, don't you dare call common. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Luke wanted his readers to know the gospel was for everyone, even Gentile Roman soldiers. This would have been mind-blowing for the Gentile readers and mind-blowing for the Jewish readers. But Luke doesn't stop there. He writes about the Good Samaritan. We don't have the Good Samaritan without Dr. Luke. We don't have the Samaritan leper without Dr. Luke. Even for Samaritans? You've got to be kidding. You mean those dogs? Because that's how the Jewish people talked about them. You mean those mutts? Because that's what they thought they were. Even for Samaritans? Zacchaeus. We don't get Zacchaeus. What's the song? Anybody know? No, I'm just kidding. I don't even know right now. I'm so, <laughs> my children's pastor days are over. But Zacchaeus is up in the trees, a wee little man. He's a wee little man, was he? Something like, yeah, you got it, Tanya, you got it? What's the melody? No, I'm kidding. So we don't have Zacchaeus without Luke. Who is Zacchaeus? He's a sinful, cheating, lying, backstabbing, tax collector. For us, he's a greasy, talking out the side of his mouth politician. And even Zacchaeus, even him. Without Luke, we don't have the prodigal son. Thank God Luke wrote his gospel. I need to see that story because I'm a prodigal myself standing on this stage. That man right there prayed for me for decades. And here I am. But without Dr. Luke, we don't get the prodigal son. Even prodigals, you mean even children who spit in your face and steal your money and talk back to you and steal the car and run up your credit card? Hold up. The gospel is for them too? Yes, even for them. The gospel is for everyone. Without Dr. Luke, we don't have the Apostle Paul's conversion even for murderers. Oh, God. Oh, no, of course, let's not talk about that. That's sticky. No, that's, that's the gospel. Even for murderers. Wow. The gospel is for everyone. And isn't that really good news? Come on. If I could sit with each one of you and we could talk about our stories, wouldn't we just all cry and say, thank God, oh, God. 
Because we want to look squeaky clean, but we know good and well. If the gospel wasn't for everyone, we would not be in this room. I'm so thankful that Dr. Luke wanted us to know the gospel was for everyone. The second thing I think Dr. Luke would want me to know if I sat down with him for an interview is that the Holy Spirit is really real. Really real. I mean, really real. He's not a ghost. He is the Spirit of God. He's not a good idea. He's a part of the Trinity. He's not some spooky mystery. He lives right now inside of every single believer. Let's look at some parts of the Christmas story, the one Dr. Luke wrote. We don't even have this without Dr. Luke because he gives us the details. We don't have Charlie Brown Christmas and Linus reading Luke too without Dr. Luke. Think about it. Now let's see who has a recurring role in this story. Luke 1, 30 through 35. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Oh, I'm ready for Christmas. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name. Let's say his name together. Jesus. Come on. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no End. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's a really good question. Come on. We read this story because we know the end. But that's a really good question. <laughs> how is this going to happen? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Come on. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is really real. And without him, we have no virgin birth. Wow. And without the virgin birth, we don't have Jesus. And without Jesus, once again, none of us are in this room. The Holy Spirit is really, really real. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, come on, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with what? Indigestion? No. The Holy Spirit. Ooh. This is how we know that John the Baptist came out full of the Holy Spirit. Now, come on, that's powerful right there. Later, John's father, Zechariah, is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesies. And eight days after Jesus is born, the Holy Spirit leads a man named Simeon to the temple, and he takes Jesus in his arms, and he gives praise to God. Then Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit appears at Jesus' baptism in Luke 3, at Jesus' temptation in Luke 4, at the start of Jesus' ministry of speaking and healing, the beginning of Acts. We know. Enter the Holy Spirit. And the story of the beginning of the mission to the Gentiles, all of these stories are marked by an experience of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in his letters, he mentions the Holy Spirit by name, 54 times in all. More in his gospel, 12 times than any other gospel writer. 
What is Luke trying to help us understand? Luke wants us to know that the Holy Spirit has played a starring role, a starring role, since the beginning of the gospel in the evangelizing of the world then and that he will continue to play a starring role in the spreading of the gospel in our world here and now. He, the Holy Spirit, was the one promised to dwell within us and give us the power to be the witnesses Jesus commanded us to be. And I love that because Jesus commands us to be witnesses, but he knows we can't do it on our own. Right? Let's read that. Acts 1, 7, 8. This is the message paraphrase, and this is Jesus talking. And, and even after Jesus is dead, this is so interesting. This is how I am with Jesus. The disciples are still asking him the wrong question. So right before this, they say, uh, Jesus, are you going to set your kingdom up now? When's the kingdom coming? And Jesus says, you don't get to know the time. Timing, somebody just needs to hear this, is the father's business. You don't get to know the time. Timing is the father's business. What you get come on, is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. For that, for us, it's Bossier City and Shreveport and Louisiana and the United States and all over the world. This is good news. Why? Because I'm not strong enough. Y'all know, y'all know me. No, I'm, I'm talking about you too. I'm not smart enough. I am not capable. I'm not eternal. Not in the sense the Holy Spirit is, because this is what the Bible tells us, that he was there in the beginning. So he knows everything. I'm not able, but he is, and he's in me. That's good news. I can be a witness because he will make me able. You can be a witness, not because you went to Bible school, not because you went to all the Bible studies, not because your daddy was a pastor, no, because the Holy Spirit will make you able. The Holy Spirit is real, and because we belong to Jesus, he is with us even now. Thank you for that, Dr. Luke. I preach so fast. Side notes. Anyway, um, I'm almost done. Good. So y'all are like, yay. No, just kidding. So now I could walk away from an interview with Dr. Luke with the gospel is for everyone. And the Holy Spirit is really real. And let's just be honest. That would be enough. That would be enough. But the question that might still be burning in me is what made you sit down and put the pen to the paper? Theologians guess, they figure, that he would have had to write on a scroll that was 24 feet long, just the Gospel of Luke, by hand. And if they were going to read it in the temple, they would have had to have several different scrolls and be like, here we go, we're going to read Luke's letter today. Everybody sit down. You know, I mean, it would have been a mess. But they were saying it was so long. There were so many words. What was he, why did he do that? Because that took time. That took years. What was his motive? The third and final thing I think Dr. Luke would tell me if I interviewed him was that faith 
and facts go hand in hand. Faith and facts go hand in hand. Luke 1, 1 through 4. I'm going to read this in two different translations because I really want you to hear this. In the ESV, it says, And as much as many have undertaken, this is Luke writing, to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all the things closely from some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught in the message. So many others have tried their hand at putting together a story of the wonderful harvest of scripture and history that took place among us. I love that. Because what he's saying there is that Jesus, this Jesus that you guys have been hearing about, he fulfilled all these scriptures. And there's so many people who have been trying to put it into words, but, but man, I'm gonna try to, okay? using reports handed down by the original eyewitnesses, so I got these from somebody else, who serve this word with their very lives. Mm. Since I have investigated, here we go, this is this interviewer, all the reports in close detail, starting from the story's beginning, I decided to write it all out for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt, hear me, the reliability of what you were taught. What is Luke saying? Theophilus, your faith is not foolish. Your faith is not empty. There are actually facts that back up your faith. Whoa. Scholars are torn. Is Theophilus a Roman Christian? Is he a Gentile um, and his name means friend of God? Is this like a friend of Luke's? Or is he writing and he's using a generic name as a cover-up? because they think maybe he's writing to a persecuted church and he doesn't want people to know who he's writing to. So who he's writing to is debated, but why he's writing is clear. Dr. Luke wants his readers to have a factual account of what happened while Jesus was on the earth and after he left. We can think of Luke and Acts as two big books of facts. See, we're in this weird age where people tell you you have to separate those things, faith and facts. But that's, that's, not, that's not how the Christianity was intended to be. That's why they wrote the Gospels. Do we understand? That's why he wrote Acts. He was trying to show them, you believe by faith. You haven't seen him, but you believe by faith. But now, I just want you to, I want to show you all these facts to back up what you believe. This is really, really good. This is good news for us. Faith and facts go hand in hand. Luke includes 45 stories that nobody else includes in their gospels. He is trying to get all the details in there. He's trying to give his readers as much information as possible. It is in Luke chapter 3 that we find out that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Nobody else gave us that. Luke's like, look, I'm trying to give you years. I'm going to tell you who was in office. I'm going to tell you who was the king. I'm going to tell you how long it took him to get there. I'm going to give you all these details so you can have some facts to back up your faith. 
And Luke gives us Jesus's earthly genealogy. Oh my gosh, you have to read this for yourself. He traces his Jesus earthly genealogy from his dad, Joseph, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. How cool is that? He ends it in verse 35 with Adam, the son of God. He is getting really, really deep. He is trying to make sure that if people want to go fact check this, they will have all the facts. Luke did his fact checking. Luke did his homework. I love an interaction that both Luke and Matthew record that the other two gospel writers do not. And you've probably heard this before, but hear it again with this thought in mind. Faith and facts go hand in hand. So Luke 7, 18, 23, go ahead and turn there. By now, John the Baptist is in jail. So if you've been in church, you know John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin and he gets beheaded because Herod doesn't like some of the things he's saying. Well, really, Herod's wife doesn't like some of the things he's saying. So he's in jail. And can you imagine? He's Jesus' cousin. (laughs) He's prepared the way for him. He sold out so completely that he ate locusts and honey. And he's wearing rough clothes. I would never, no, I'm kidding. Stop it, Clarissa. I might if God told me to. But anyway, I mean, his life is hard. The Pharisees were just like with the way they were with Jesus. They were like that with John. They were always like, who do you think you are? What do you mean? Who are you? And he's just trying to do the work of God. He's just baptizing people day after day after day. He's just preaching the word of God. He's a man of faith. He's full of faith. But now he's in jail. And he's a little tired. I imagine he's a little lonely. And he's sure enough confused. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So they would come back and report things to him. So John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Mm, I wonder how Jesus felt when they asked him that. John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Think about this. Or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. He's quoting a scripture here. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, and I just imagine him leaning into the two of them and saying, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. John the Baptist was a man full of faith. But it's so interesting to me That Jesus doesn't say, just go tell him it's me. I mean, he knows. He's a man of faith. Just go tell him, have more faith, John. No, no, Jesus does something very interesting. He gives them some evidence. He gives them some facts to take back. Most translations say, in that very hour. So they ask him the question, and then Jesus goes, okay. See, walk, (laughs) leprosy gone, you come on up from the dead. And then he goes to them and says, go tell John all this. Go tell him everything you just saw. He's a man of faith, but now can you go and give him some facts? 
And I imagine Jesus was hurting. But I read this and I thought, I've never thought about that. I never thought about that. Jesus gives them evidence to take back. Very interesting. Fake news was a thing way back in the day. Do not think that that was just invented by our media and our president. Luke is writing so that fake news can be put to shame. He wants them to have the facts. Acts 17, 10 through 12. That night, the Christians hurried Paul and Silas to Berea because the Thessalonians had kicked him out and tried to basically kill him. And as usual, they went to the synagogue to preach. But the people of Berea were open-minded, were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica and gladly listened to the message. Oh, okay, but then they did something else. They searched the scriptures day by day to check up on Paul and Silas's statements to see if they were really so. So as a result, many of them believed, including several prominent Greek women and many men also. I love that Luke includes them in the book of Acts because people will tell you, just believe it, right? That's what we've been told. But he says, wait a minute. These guys listened, and they, and they believed it, but then they went, let me go check this out. Let me see. Is this real? Oh, it's real. Okay, we're good, <laughs> right? I'm telling you guys, I recommend this. I highly recommend this. Whether you hear a good sermon or a bad sermon, whether you liked it or you didn't like it, check the facts. Listen, the people that, that Luke was writing to, most of them could not read. So one person would have to read this to them. And, and me and Dell were talking about this as I was preparing, and it just makes me emotional. We can read, for the most part. All of us can read, right? But do we? Do we know that what we're saying is true? Am I getting up here and making up a bunch of stuff? Do you know? You better check the facts. Even if it's good, check the facts. This is why we have the Bible. Christians in the first and second century, the third century, the fourth century, oh my gosh, so many centuries, would have died for what we have. Bible Hub, Bible Gateway, U version, the list goes Bible Study, two blue letter Bible, 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 New Living Translation, you don't like that? I got you easy to read over here. I got you NIRV over here, NIV. How many V's you want? I got them all. We got all these translations just in case one of them's too hard to read. But we don't check the facts. There's nothing wrong with checking the facts. Luke wanted those reading his letters to have the facts. These amazing acts of the early believers. But as Pastor Philip always reminds us, the book of Acts is not over. We are still living out the book of Acts or the book of facts. And the truth is we all have our own facts, y'all. We once were lost, but now we're found. That's a fact. We once hated people that weren't like us, but man, why do I love everybody now? No, I'm, you know what I'm saying? That's a fact. That's real. 
We once were sick and now we're healed. That's a fact. We once lived without hope, but now we have hope. Oh, that's a fact. We become a Christian by faith, but as we grow, then we know. We know. We know for ourselves. We know for ourselves. Our faith becomes factual in our life. We can't see him. We can't touch him. But I don't know about you. I know that 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 I know. Uh, He's real. That's a fact. Faith and facts go hand in hand. I am a witness of this. That's all I'm saying. I'm a living testimony. I have some facts to back up my faith because he's walked me through some things, because he's talked me through some things, because he's come through way too many times. I have some facts to back up my faith. This is why faith without works is dead, because real faith produces facts. You say you have faith. Well, then show me. Show me. Where are your facts at? What have you done by faith lately? What has your faith produced lately? Now I'm talking to myself too. But real faith produces facts. I'll back up my faith with my facts. Where would we be without the book of Acts or the book of Facts, as we will all now call it. No, I'm kidding. What if we only had the Gospels? How would we know how to live this thing out? How would we know what ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit look like if we didn't have the book of Acts? I'm so thankful, Dr. Luke, that you wrote this book for us. His readers were already people of faith, just like us. They believed in Jesus even though they had never seen him. But Dr. Luke knew that in order to get through, to live in a world where they were being persecuted and their faith was being tested on every side, they needed to hear from some witnesses. Someone who had seen Jesus, who had walked with him and had talked with him. That's why he wrote the first letter. Then... They needed to hear from someone like them who didn't get to be with him and hear him speak firsthand, but was still a living witness. So he wrote the second letter. See what Theophilus, the readers, the hearers, whoever they were of these two letters needed to know is that they too were witnesses. And a witness is someone who can testify. Come on, let me find out if you want is someone who can testify that the resurrection of Jesus has changed everything in their lives. A witness is someone who can testify that the resurrection of Jesus has changed everything in their lives. Dr. Luke was a witness, and so are we. Can you testify? Can you? In the old churches, they would stand up and say, giving honor to God. Uh, this day on uh, Saturday, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they would, oh, this is old black churches. Sorry, I'm going way back and old and black for you right now. And they would just be, I want to give a testimony on Saturday. My lights came on and I didn't even pay the bill. I mean, everybody was like, ah, thank you, Jesus. I mean, it was amazing. 
But we don't do that here at North Point. <laughs> and that's okay. That's a, is that okay? They do, they still do that in some churches. Sometimes I wish we did, Mr. Clay. Because so many of us think, oh, I have no facts. I can't wait till I'm like Destiny. She's got this great book of facts. Since she was three, she's been walking with Jesus. And I just wish I knew all the things. And oh, Clarissa, she's so full of this and that. And she kicks her leg and she looks crazy and she's wild. And I just went, what are we talking about? We all have our book of facts. We all have our book of facts. Stop seeing yourself on the defense. I hear people say this all the time. I can't defend it. I want to know more of the Bible so I can defend it. You don't have to defend it. It's true. (laughs) You're on the offense. The facts are in your favor. You're on the winning side. What are you defending? Just give them the facts. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Mm -hmm. I once cheated on my wife, but now I love her more than ever. I almost committed suicide, but then Jesus stepped in. Facts, facts, people need facts. We might be a more effective witness if we stopped thinking we needed to be able to explain creation. Well, I don't really know. Maybe six days, maybe I don't Forget all that. Give them the facts. What has Jesus done for you? We might be a more effective witness if our Facebook and Insta feeds weren't filled with the fake news of our lives. If people knew that we couldn't get out of bed in the morning if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Whoo! If people knew that we couldn't be faithful to our wives without the Holy Spirit. If people knew that our children didn't always make the team and we were actually okay with that because of the Holy Spirit, that our marriage wasn't perfect, that sometimes we doubt we might be a more effective witness. Too much fake news. People need the truth. People need testimonies. Let's read Acts 1-8 again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you because the Holy Spirit is really real. And you will be my witnesses. You will live by faith and you will back up your faith with the facts about what God has done. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why? Because the gospel is for everyone. Thank you, Dr. Luke. Thank you. The apostles had a testimony. Dr. Luke had a testimony. The early believers had a testimony. Do you have a testimony? What are your facts? What are your facts? Come on, guys, we got them. But we're so consumed by some weird, idealized life sometimes we actually discount the work that God is doing in our lives. Sleeping through the night, when you haven't slept through the night in two years, that's a fact. Being able to read your Bible and understand it for the very first time, don't be ashamed of that. You better tell everybody because that's a fact. Loving your mom, 
who called you less than nothing your whole life, be able to hug her and kiss her and pray for her, that's a fact. Tell everybody. Because people need to know that Jesus is real. But how will they know if we won't be a witness? Some of you are new to the faith, and I understand that. And some of you aren't. But I want to give you just some things you can do. If you're like, I don't have a whole lot of history with Jesus, but I would love to, and I'm going to. But, but this is what you can do. You can read the Gospels. Because they're real-life stories of real-life people who had encounters with Jesus. They're not fairy tales. They're not mysteries. They're not mystical books. They're real. They're real. How about get you some people with some faith facts in their life? I love talking to Pastor Craig Johnson. He's going to kill me. I'm glad he's not here. Because y'all are all going to want him in your life after this. No. Any, I've never met a person who can correct me and fill me with faith in like 30 seconds before I walk out of his office. But this is what Pastor Craig does for me. He's got so many stories. Him and his wife, Pastor Kathy, almost signed the divorce papers. They were drawn up. They had two different lawyers. They were ready. But then they stayed in it. And they've been married for almost five decades. That's a fact. I love hearing his story because it gives me hope. If Dale's ever crazy enough to think he can divorce me, no, I'm kidding. It gives me hope for the future. No. He tells me of a time they sat down and they were trying to decide whether to tithe or not because they had no money in the bank. Oh, thank you, Pastor Greg, for your faith stories. And they wrote the check anyway. And then the next day, I think it was, baby, there's a check in the mail for the exact amount they needed to pay the bill that they had. You better get you some people in your life who have done this a little longer than you and just sit at their feet and say, tell me some stories. Give me the facts because I'm having a hard time and I don't see the end. But you said you've been there. I need to know. Can he really do it? Get you some faith factors in your life. Get you some people who have been there, done that. <sighs> Join a group. Listen to some faith stories. I love my small group. Last night we had a full table, and we just talk, and we just, we're just honest, and we find out that we're all the same. And some of us are a little further along. Some of us are back here. Some of us are just putting our foot in the water. But each other's stories get us through. I love that. I love that. Start writing things down, for goodness sake. <laughs> How has your thinking changed? How has your feeling changed? How has your outlook on life changed? What have you done that you felt God wanted you to do and he actually came through? These are facts. Write them down. This is your testimony. We all have one. Stand with me. Here's the truth. It's our facts that will fuel our faith for the future. Our facts, our reminders. If he did it before, he can do it again. He did it. That's a fact. Okay, God. Whew. Then I trust you. 
I have faith to believe that you will do it again. Our facts fuel our faith for the future. Some of you have been struggling with hope in this room. I really believe that. I was done with my message and and that just, man, that got on me. Some of you are struggling with hope. Some of you are struggling with faith. And part of the reason is because you've forgotten what God has already done for you. This is what I want you to do for 60 seconds. I know this is different and it might be a little uncomfortable, but I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to bow your head. I want you to think back to when the cross became a permanent figure in your story, the day you became a a believer, and just start to think about some of the things God has done. The time you almost walked out, but you didn't. The time they told you your cancer was going to kill you, but it didn't. The time you almost left your husband, but you didn't. Come on, think of the facts. What has God done for you? What has God done for you? Come on. So much, huh? Come on, just think about it. 30 more seconds, just think. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Just think. Just think. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. looking for living, breathing witnesses. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for Bible scholars. There's enough of those, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for regular, everyday people who will say, I've got some facts that back up my faith. This is what my God can do. Don't discount your testimony. I've got to get better at this. I was just telling Neely today that there was a time that me and my son would get evicted from our little hotel room that we lived in on East Texas. They would put the thing on the doorknob and we couldn't get back in. And I remember walking down East Texas with little Eddie, the one who plays the keyboard up there, scared to death. And I'd forgotten that story. And then it came back to me this morning. We were talking about rats. Side note, I'll tell you more about that another time. (laughs) And I thought, how many facts have I forgotten? How many things have you done, God? That if I could just remember, I would have so much hope for the future. I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to be dismissed. Everyone just bow your head and close your eyes for me for a second. Mm. This is what I really feel. Some of you have got to stop comparing your story to other people's story. Stop. Some of you were saved in your 30s and, and you don't think you can open up your mouth because you were saved in your 30s. No, there are men and women in this city 
in their 40s and their 50s who you are working with that need to know that Jesus can erase 30 years of sin. Don't discount your testimony. Stop comparing your testimony. Some of you have messed up so many times since you started following Jesus that you're scared to tell people because they'll think less of you. That's pride. Let that go. Jesus wants to use your story because there's some people in your life that have messed up over and over and over. And they need to know that Jesus can save them anyway. Stop discounting your story. Now, Father, I thank you. We are your witnesses. We are your witnesses. We are living, breathing testimonies to the grace and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are not ashamed of what we've done. No, God, we thank you that you saved us from it, but we will tell people that you care about people who took drugs, that you care about people who lied, that you care about people who stole, that you cared about people who were homosexuals, that you cared about people that other people don't care about. We will tell our stories. We will give glory and honor to the blood of Jesus because it deserves it. We are your witnesses. Now, Father, I pray for everyone in this room. May like never before they see what you have done for them as they walk through their day tomorrow. May they begin to have revelation after revelation after revelation of your presence and your power. And may it change everything, God. I thank you for the testimonies of conversations with coworkers and family members, of prayers that they prayed that were answered. God, you will do it because you want to reach a world that Jesus died for. Thank you for letting us be a part of your story. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.